I'm Ken Epstein, and this is who I am. today is Ken Epstein, the garage punk rock and roll comic book creator and publisher for Nick's Comics Quarterly. Welcome to the show, Ken. Hi, Jimmy. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've actually spoken in person, but we've uh, we've been communicating online. I think this for is the years. first time we spoke. Yeah, like not on not online. Which yeah, is, uh, it's always interesting. Uh, so you uh, you've been publishing um, Nick's Quarterly now for is it four years or? Is it more than that? Six. I, Six. I started oh in 2000, <laughs> 2011, yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I've put out uh, at least a few books every year since then, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and do you want to tell us a little bit about what Nick's Comics is, the idea behind it, and, and how you came to start publishing it as a quarterly book? Yeah. Um, well, it's... Uh, I, for, for many years, I was a, uh, a wannabe retailer. I had a couple of brick and mortar operations and, and I sold stuff online for, uh, for many years. Um, it was both, uh, both comics and, uh, records. And I kind of specialized in, in garage rock and punk rock records. Um, and that was, you know, something I was always passable enough at to, to make a few extra bucks, but it never, never quite took off to the point that I could make a living at it. And, um, it, it, it had gotten a little, uh, a little samey at the, at the point that I decided to, to, to start doing comics myself instead, just kind of, um, I wanted to do, you know, I, I, I all of a sudden had all of these stories building up in my head and I needed an outlet for them. So, Mm-hmm. So I closed up the, the retail operations at the time, sold off all the merchandise, and that was kind of my initial seed month for, for starting the starting mix comics. And and those comics are are kind of meant to be in that same combination record comic book shop environment that that I created before. So right, yeah, they've got a very much um, like you said a garage punk band feel to the, to the comics and the the stories and also the the production line the way that you you put them out and uh, and sell them yeah and it's it's something i want to uh kind of get a focus back on i have a, have a little more time on my hands uh these days than i had when i first started up so i'm gonna do some projects where hopefully i can start uh expanding getting i'm, I'm well known in, in in ohio i believe central ohio and, and maybe in spots in brooklyn that i've been to but uh, right but i want to expand out to, to other record stores okay. comic stores that aren't aren't typical uh what would have become the typical local comic shops yeah you um you went that was it was uh nick's quarterly the very first thing that you did or did you do anything before then uh, uh publishing wise uh i had done some uh when I was running Evil Empire as an online record uh, mail order, mm-hmm. I had an ongoing uh, uh, customer newsletter, and I would always do these, these desperately horrible interviews with 
you know, whoever would, would respond to emails that I send out. Right. Um, I, I call them five quick and dirty questions, and I would just write five stupid, horrible questions, <laughs> um, and and see see if uh, see if a comic artist or 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 or, or a recording artist would respond to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and some of them did, and some of them were were really great and gave reasonably thoughtful and kind answers to my questions, and some gave, you know brutally uh, <laughs> brutally vicious rebuttals um but anyway i took some of those interviews and worked with a couple of different artists to uh, turn them into cartoons that were pun- uh published punished <laughs> <laughs> published in, uh in a uh, rocktober magazine which okay. is out of chicago i don't know if you've ever seen that one but it's a uh, it, the first half of the magazine is, is all um diy punk comics and then the back is music reviews and record reviews and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's been done for years now. I, I, I don't know when the last issue came out. Maybe it's on hiatus, but uh, a guy named Jake Austin in Chicago put that out for years. Mm. It was one of my more, one of my more favorite scenes. Right. And it, you, you're in, um, in Ohio. Is it in Columbus that you, you're? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in, yeah, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So, and there's very much a, a um, an underground comic scene there as well as like an independent, um, a very vibrant independent yeah, comic scene. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, I mean, it's the modern version of it. It doesn't compare to like the, the you know, the what's classically thought of as underground comics like the San Francisco or the, the mm-hmm. New York SCA scene or anything like that. It's, a, it's very much though a, uh, a college town vibe to it where there's a, a good variety of people doing stuff in, in a modern context on their own. Um, I think, uh, I think I saw something to the effect of, uh, Columbus had the, you know, uh, like an article on what kickstart, what type of kickstarters were run in different cities. Mm-hmm. And I, I gather some, we had the highest percentage of comic kickstarters. So there's, oh. there's a lot of self starters here. Yeah. In Columbus, I guess, which gives it that, uh, that, uh, yeah, underground and indie; those words all feel kind of loaded, don't they? So they do, yeah. <laughs> whatever the modern, whatever the modern terminology for that is, yeah, Columbus has it in spades, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seems like everything is so like the, the the back end now, the publishing side of it is so. It's kind of like a uniform um, uh, professional sheen to everything that the like, it's not just people folding paper and stapling it and putting it out as and when and mailing it out to people. Now there's so many ways of getting those books out that, that the underground There's is... so many different ways. And I feel like there is some, uh, you know, there's some puritanism that sometimes goes on where people talk about, you know, you know, particularly if you talk about like underground type comics or punk mm-hmm. rock comics, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not black and white on photocopy paper. It's not punk rock or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of yeah. I, 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 I think what makes something, you know, part of that independent spirit is using the tools that are available. And yeah. so if you can get cheap color prints, you know, and things that look like comics from the store, you should go ahead and do it. That's if that's what you want to do, you know? mm-hmm. uh, which is very much what I did. And I think, to some degree, I did experience that uh, that uh, you're not very punk rock thing from from some of my peers, which is hmm. funny. But 
And you mentioned Kickstarter. Yeah. You you um, you use Kickstarter for a lot of uh, your books to help. It's it's almost like you use it as like a mail shoot rather than as a as a funding tool. I mean, there is some elements of funding in there, but a lot of it just seems to be that it's it's like a preferred method of getting the news out that there is a book available. Is that is that correct to say? Would you? Yeah, I I've, I've been using it as a pre-order mechanism because it's not. You know, I don't do a lot of the the backer rewards that are that are big ticket sort of things. So mm-hmm. it's kind of I try to focus on on here's the new book. You can you can get it for for cheaper than you would on my website if you get it now in advance. Um, and you know, if I have pages of original art available, or you know, people want to get the back issues at the same time through the Kickstarter, I'm more than happy to to use it as my sales venue. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of comic uh, self publishers and small micro press publishers that have come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the one thing that's kind of you know the the other side of that coin though is is that people have developed a very specific notion of what Kickstarter is and uh, what it's for, and because of that. You know, you have to worry about are you are you just not reaching some people who aren't willing to do a Kickstarter or another Kickstarter or think you should have been kickstarted already or you know yeah that kind of thing. yeah um, but yeah I've used Kickstarter and I've used uh, Indiegogo the other platform mm-hmm. the um, the one I haven't tried which everybody keeps telling me I should be soaking people monthly for for a Patreon account. But, mm. So yeah, it's it's that, that model doesn't quite work for what I do or yeah. for what I want to do. It's hard to do with physical stuff. I would say that with with Patreon because the just the the, the nature yeah. of the model is hard to to gauge to to gauge when um, you know how much you're going to need to get from people to 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 continue. Well, and I don't know. It. I think that uh, I think a lot of the people who offer Patreon stuff um, do it. Um, with the promise of showing people process work and stuff like that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I see the value in, in figuring out a way to take my process work and make it, uh, and, and make it presentable for somebody to know what the hell I was thinking. I've more often than not, I've had people ask me what I'm doing, you know, while I'm scribbling on a, on a tablet of paper. and So mm-hmm. I'm writing a comic and they, with their face just like, I can see their eyes glide, uh, you know, their eyes roll back in their head because what I'm writing doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look like anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I don't feel that, that my personal process work has a lot of value for anybody else. So that's, <laughs> that aspect of Patreon's kind of out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I suppose I could do a web comic or something like that, but, uh, but again, I don't know that. I don't know that whatever web comic I was producing on my own would be would would merit a dollar or two dollars a month or whatever you know in my mind. Yeah. Um, with the with the Nick Squirrelly, you um, you do a lot of the writing on the book. Was that just something that came around as a necessity because of of getting started, or was that always your intention to be to be involved on the writing side? Well, I always want to write a lot of the stories. Um, it was my intention to, 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 to build up 
a, enough of a, a fan base amongst creators that I could eventually pass that off. Um, mm-hmm. Once I had established the, the, the themes uh, of what I want to have in the quarterly. But right. what I've found in some ways is that uh, while I feel like I've established my theme, I, I get a lot of I get a lot of proposals from 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 people, which is great, and I love reading them. But mm-hmm. uh, it's like, wow, you don't either. I haven't made it clear what I'm doing, or you just don't. <laughs> you're just looking at me for as a way to get your stuff out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I I don't quite I haven't quite built up, built up my uh, my bullpen of usual gang of it, my usual gang of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but to some degree I have. Um, yeah, with the artist. Matt Miner. Pardon me now? I was just going to say that there, there, there's certainly a, a core group of artists that you seem to work with a lot. But Yeah, um, and I think uh, I work with a great group of artists and I have that, I have that kind of core bullpen Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have, like I said, a uh, Matt Miner's written a couple of Bus Stop Ned, who's a recurring character yeah. in, in every issue. He's written a few of those stories because he kind of he grasped on, he grasped onto the concept and loved it, and you know, kind of pitched a few stories to me, and they were all pretty spot on. So, mm-hmm. so, so I have been able to pass some of it off. It's just you know, and I try to try somebody new out every issue. Yeah, um, and it just you know. Not that they've been bad stories, or not that the, not that I don't think people could be developed. It just hasn't, hasn't been a been a been a good chemical bond yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Matt seems like a good fit because he's he's musically, a lot of his stuff is is um, has that kind of that um, garage punk vibe to it as well. So, well, and he's kind of doing it out of excitement and love for it. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. I, a lot of the other people, you know, they love the idea of, of, of being published in a comic, but they don't necessarily love the themes that's set up, which is which is fine, but it, it makes it hard to uh, hard to pull people in until you, you actually find them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of um, actually because you did a story, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and you, you were completely open to to me framing it in a way that it fit into the thing, but uh, you know, I've worked with, with some artists and, and writers who don't quite get that that in this publication, yes, they have their artistic vision, but in fact, it, it's kind of secondary to mine. Yeah, you know, as the as the artistic director of the publication, I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can get myself whatever title I want, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Artistic director sounds uh, sounds official enough to shoot down anybody else's ideas, I guess. Yeah, I always I always think of you as the the Malcolm McLaren of comics. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if that bodes so well for me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe maybe if I have a child in uh, in thirty years, you can burn all my. Sh- brag about it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that that would be unfortunate (laughs) yeah i don't know you know that that's an interesting thing though when you talk about my my very first issue had a whole bunch of people listed on the back who were my influences who Mm -hmm. i thought were my influences at the time 
And some of those have changed, and some of them I realized it was like the idea of who that person was or my idea of who that person was, and I don't know if I'd list the same people again or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think the first issue had Stan Lee listed on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and and while I do appreciate the persona that he brought to comics, you know, I, I don't know if I would list him again knowing now what I knew, yeah. what I know about about his history with artists. So, you know, and I've heard, I've heard all sides of that story from, yeah, from the occasional people, you, veteran you meet from Marvel, you know, some, some love them, some hate them, that kind of thing. So it's, it's clearly not a, you know, he's a person, so there's clearly not a, a pure good, pure bad aspect to it, but I don't know if I would still list them. In, was that enough of a tangent? I'm sorry. No, that was that was, <laughs> that was fine. I'm, um, Stanley is always a, a tough one for me, for me because it's, um, you know, he, growing up reading comics, he was never, he was just the voice of Marvel rather than the creator of any of the comics. I never knew. I, I came into comics in the, the 70s and 80s, so I don't think he was writing as much because he was over in Hollywood for most of that time. No, but he was the voice, though, right? Because he was he on was. all the cartoons. Exactly. Yeah. And, so he uh, would always introduce. And him. I think that started happening in the seventies, and he did have that. He has that marvelous made-for-radio voice. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I, you know, I, 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 I could listen to that guy read the phone book. <laughs> and he did. But, you, you know, he you, did you, put you, himself out there. You know, he did. He did become a figure that could be loved and hated equally. And you know, for everything that he did. On on the good side, he did stuff. On the bad side, so it's hard. It's hard to to just say, "Oh, I feel this way about him." You know, there was a, there was a lot of good that he did and a lot of bad that he did. But. Yeah. Well, and they all end up being like that. So I guess you yeah. have to kind of kind of kind of pick and choose on that. I mean, the Bill Gaines was terrific but horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you go to other influences and in other in other media. You know a lot of good things to say about Roger Corman and a lot of not so great things. To yeah. Say about him. Um, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, and, and sometimes in the end too, you just feel, uh, when you start listing influences that, that are people that, that your, your audience would recognize, you know, there's a hazard to that. And, in fact, a lot of the time, they're not even your real influences. Like, probably um, the personal ones, the people I actually know, um, Bob Corby, who runs Space here mm-hmm. in Columbus, the small press expo here in Columbus, you know, has probably done more to to influence me and in how I how I act and how I present myself without even trying than, than you know, any any celebrity quote-unquote celebrity so right you know and it, it, it would probably behoove us to mention those people more often yeah but, with the with your writing um the 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 format for next is lots of uh um, or it, it collects short stories it's normally four or five per issue right is that the yeah is that something you prefer you prefer the short um, the short story format, or is, is there any plans for you to do? Something yeah, I really do. I prefer short, short, self-contained stories. I, uh, what I've always said. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's borrowed from. I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly blatantly borrowed from the, 
from the old EC formats. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a lot like Mad was. It's a lot like Tales from the Crypt was. A creepy magazine, not not EC. Creepy wasn't EC, but but you know that that was the kind of thing that I enjoyed the most as a kid because um, you know I. I had attention deficit disorder back when they were calling it ants in the pants. I, you know, I don't, you know, I, I've never been able to, not never, but it, it's it's hard for me to to sit down and get into a long extended narrative. Mm-hmm. I lose track and get bored, and I, th- I think that's why the those comics and say like punk rock music have a have an affinity in my mind, you know, mm. why they, where they cross over on the Venn diagram. It's, it's all short and sweet and to the point and makes it, makes it short little weird stories quickly and, and then moves on to the next. Um, in the ideal world, you know, in yeah. the ideal world, I would like people to be able to pick up, you know, a back from the grave garage rock compilation and read a Nick, you know, read a Nick's comic in the, in the same sitting you know you read one story there's one two minute song you read another story there's two minutes song you know yeah yeah it's a it seems like it's a real you know that it's it's a skill to do because it's a lot of people treat those short that short format self-contained story as a way of uh kind of advertising that they're out there and, and saying you know i can do this um like in the uk the 2080 comic had um uh, future shocks which were just kind of like little almost like little twilight zone episodes that were normally five pages four pages long and a lot of the the writers that that moved over into mainstream comics um from england uh got cut their teeth on on those um and it was like a way of of showing that you were you could tell a story but it's to, to continually do it i think it's a real skill that's a that's, I mean, that's the, that's their foothold in, right? That's yeah. their that's essentially their submission process. Yeah. Ask you to write the future sock story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think sometimes there are people who view my comics and getting published in my comics as, as a potential stepping stone for the same reason, where they can show somebody, hey, I've been published, and yeah. this was the short that I did. Um, but... Uh, I don't know if it's a skill or not. I, I mean, I think it's just a different skill. You know, writing long form and writing short form are just very different styles of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, again, going to, to outside comic influences, I was always a, more of a Raymond Chandler fan than, than any other kind of author where I, I I want it to be all in one page or in one paragraph. I. I, I want an economy of words, and it's kind of the same for the short stories I write. I'd like there to be be an econ, you know, an economy of storytelling where I, I trust my audience to be smart enough to get, mm-hmm. and 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 fill in what they need to if they need to, or yeah, um, make, you know, make the jumps if they need to. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Did you? And it's a, Sorry, go on. It's a matter. It's a matter of providing a context that makes sense. I think in that case, instead of the stories, because they're they're kind of you, you might throw in a twist ending or whatever, but they're essentially simple stories. So it's a matter of providing uh, the meat of the story within the the context of what the story is and what the story is informed by. Yeah. 
Mm. What were you going to ask me? Um, I was going to ask, did you grow up in Ohio or uh, where are you from? Originally? I did not. I, uh, I, I'm kind of a all American, but my, uh, my folks are both from Texas, but mm-hmm. I was born in California. Oh, really? Spent most of my, yeah, I was born in Livermore, California. Um, and, uh, when I was too young to even really remember, they moved to Long Island. So I grew up on Long Island, mm. out in New York state. Um, and, uh, I've lived a couple of years in way upstate New York and went to school in Western Massachusetts, lived in Boston for a little while, lived in San Francisco for a little while. So I've, I've been all around, but I've spent the most years at this point in, uh, in Columbus. I, I consider myself from Columbus. Mm-hmm. And is there a, would you say there is a, um, I, I, I mean, you, you, you said that you grew up in different parts of America, but would you say that there is a, a style in Columbus that there, or in Ohio, there is a, a way, like a storytelling that comes uniquely from that area? I've been asked that question before, and I, and I think that there's not. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a a prodigious amount of talent that comes in because of the the universities in town, um, and it's also a political town. So you know it's the capital of the state, so you get a lot of people coming and going a lot. Yeah, for that reason as well. So it, it's it's a it, it's a city where there are a lot of ideas flowing around a lot of the time, but I've never felt that it was any of the artistic movements in town were cohesive and like they wouldn't have a movement or a school named after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't know that there is, there are other comic cities in the country, but I don't know that they have it too. That there, there are definitely like, like Pittsburgh has a lot of great artists, but I don't know that you would say that, that Ed Fisker and, and Tom Scioli and Jim Rugg, you know, have the same storytelling style right. at all. Yeah. And I think Columbus is a lot like that. There, there are a lot of people here telling stories, but there are a lot of, they're telling their own stories in their own way. Um, but I don't think, uh, I don't think somebody could pick up a comic and go, I don't know who this is, but they're from Columbus. Right. Which I think is kind of at the core of that question. It's not, it's not a, not a Seattle music scene of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If even they really had a unique sound, like all the all the bands I liked from that era from Seattle all sounded different from Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Yeah. I think they had a... a, know, I, a I think there's I think there's a mythos that gets built up around that. I think that happens later and people draw those connections later once once half the artists have given up and gone home. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> But I mean, does does Los Angeles have that? Does, I mean, Portland is a comic city. They don't really have that. I don't feel. No, I, I wouldn't but say they have a style. They have a vibe that's that's more um, to the area, and a lot of that tends to be that it's it's this kind of combination of um, enthusiasm and. I'm also a creator that, that everyone sort of exists in this, this cloud. And, uh, um, it's both good and bad, I think for, for a lot of stuff, but it's the, the enthusiasm's very interesting coming from, I grew up in, in England where 
there is um not much enthusiasm for for anything and um the the enthusiasm was a little overwhelming when i first got here where whatever you're doing people are just i think a lot of people mistake it for um it's it's enthusiasm for being creative rather than enthusiasm for what you're creating and i think sometimes it's some people uh, get the two mixed up oh, that's, a, that's interesting hmm. but i think there's some of that here too Right. I, I, I never, I never really put a, a name to it, but, but I think that's probably a good name for it. You know, enthusiasm, enthusiasm for creativity as opposed to, to what's actually being made. Yeah. And Although, you, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you know, at the same time, I, I feel like cartooning and comics are kind of the the unsung hero here in Columbus, you know, it's very much a, a college football town. Um, there, there are a few local brands like Jenny's ice cream that people go gaga about here in Columbus and show a lot of like local pride for, but mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a shame because, you know, going all the way back to James Thurber for, for Christ's sakes, there were people making good quality, fun, informative comics, whatever in Columbus for you know, well over a hundred years. As long as, as long as we've been playing football for sure. You know? Right. Yeah. And uh, you, you have a, a, a group of artists that you've worked with repeatedly that, that also live in Columbus, right? Well, let's see. Or in Ohio. I, I got, I got a good chunk of, I got a good chunk of uh, artists who live in Columbus. I mean, I work with, Michael Nino and Matt Wyatt and Andy Bennett pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rich Trask, he's he's here in Columbus. Um, but they're also, you know, I met Mark Rudolph at Space, so the Columbus co- connection is he came down and I met him here mm. in town. Um, but, but he lives in the Detroit area. Right. Um, Darren Marinoke, who does regular... Uh, features for me. He uh, he lives in Winnipeg, but uh, I know him through Rocktober Magazine because we both published in Rocktober, and, and Jake Austin put us in touch when we started publishing. Mm-hmm. So, I it used to be maybe more of a more of an eighty percent of the stories were were from people from Columbus, but but now more more of my collaborators collaborators maybe more closer to 60 percent i don't know that's if, if you were going to ask me to put put numbers on it without actually adding things up that's what <laughs> uh, one of the things i actually like is that it, speaking of numbers is that you have very um you do a very candid uh uh almost like a financial report for for the company which i've always i've always liked because that stuff interests me probably more than than most people but it's it's interesting, I think, because there is, like you say, a lot of people see Nix as, um, as like a foothold or a way to get published without realizing that it's something you can do quite easily, independently. Um, but it's also, I don't think people realize how much of a cost it, it is to actually put books out and how much of it is, you know, it is passion behind the project rather than, um, than, than business acumen that's, that's driving a lot of it. Yeah. Um, funny enough, uh, 
of the my initial impetus for 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 being candid about um, sales and stuff like that online was that you know after many years selling records and talking to bands about distributors and record labels and stuff like that nearly every musician has a horror story about how they never get paid any royalties they never know what sales were mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing right and i wanted to be transparent kind of from the start just so so if nothing else my artists could look up and see that yeah i paid them three hundred dollars for that story and I'm still five hundred dollars in the whole <laughs> on the whole issue, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so it, you know, in a way, it's it, it, it's an effort for 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 being transparent and honest, but it's also it's also just a a, 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 a cover your ass type thing too. Because mm-hmm. you know, I I don't want to I don't want to hear about how I don't. I don't haven't given any artist a fair shake or whatever, which I've never heard. I, yeah, I should make that clear. <laughs> but I, I don't want that. I don't want that in the future. I don't want that. I don't want anybody from the past thinking that they got screwed or whatever. Right. Uh, and you know, the even even famous names, uh, they, they they've all come to legal blows over all that crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ed Kennedy sued each other over past due royalties. Of all people. So. <laughs> You know, I, nobody's immune. So the best, the best defense is to be honest about it from the get go. Yeah, and public about it because it's one of those things where people can think you're making a lot of money doing it. Um, because I don't know where that perception comes from, but it's there. Yeah. The the, the, the less they've done in the business, the more they think the possibility for making money is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And has it gotten has uh, it gotten easier and faster for you to you you still I mean you've you've maintained six years of of quarterly uh, books coming out is it is it something now that has has found a, a rhythm for you or is it still the same? Uh, uh, no, it's it's as I can save up the money and and, and get them out. Uh huh. You know? Um, and the while I think it does work out to something every three months or so over the past six years, you know, the, 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 the original quarterly idea was going to be that horror comic that tales from the crypt style horror comic. Yeah. Uh, four issues of that a year. And that hasn't happened. Right. Know? So it's, uh, there's just a, a, a limitation on, on, on the resources and, uh, you know, uh, Sometimes you just got to look at it and, and say that at this point, not enough people are interested in what I'm doing to, to keep up the same comic quarterly for, for a stretch of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to do other stuff. Um, you know, it's kind of, and that's not a, that that's not a reflection on the quality of it as much as it's just, uh, you know, the limitations of, 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 being just another person asking everybody he knows to, to buy their shit. <laughs> um, you know, people are being pulled all over the place by by not only the necessities of life, you know, like rent and utilities and keeping up with that, but the, 
you know, there's a million different ways to entertain themselves and spend their whatever entertainment money they have left over. So yeah. it, I, you can't count on having a thousand people pick up every issue, which I would love, which I think there are probably a thousand people out there somewhere in the whole wide world that would enjoy what I do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, the limitation of, of reaching them all and reaching them all at the same time and then turning that into a, a thing you do on a regular basis. If uh, that's not a nut I've been able to crack. Right. What part of the process or, do you enjoy the most? Hmm. I think the collaborative part of it. Mm-hmm. I think I like working with artists. I think I like writing scripts and then working through the scripts with uh, with uh, with the artist. Um, you know, I, I, I've recently rediscovered my confidence in, in my own artwork, so I've been doing more of that lately. Yeah, that is uh, that is satisfying in a lot of ways because um, you know. I'm, I'm an art school dropout. I, I, I'd stopped doing artwork when I was in my twenties. Thought I wasn't good enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but it took 25 years for me to say, oh, so if I'm good enough or not. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but, but I'm there now. So that part of it's fun, but, uh, I couldn't have gotten there if I hadn't been, uh, doing the collaborative stuff first, I think. Right. Um, what else do I like? I yeah, I I don't know what I. You might get a different answer. You know, next week I might say, I might say, you know, getting response from readers is is my favorite thing. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I might say, yeah, uh, it could change. But uh, today it, it's collaborating with people. Tomorrow I. I don't know. It might be it might be lifting heavy boxes in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I love being able to do that. I guess I'd never thought about what my favorite aspect of it is. Isn't that funny how you can like do something and love it and you never think about what's the best part of it? Yeah. You know, I I can tell you the things that I don't like doing and, mm-hmm. and what I've kind of moved on, you know, like I I kind of decided last year I don't really like traveling shows. Mm, I like mm-hmm. doing my local, I like doing my local Ohio shows and and um, that kind of thing. And I like doing shows where I'm the only comic guy. You know, like going to a record show and doing comic shows. But like right. going to SBS or Mocha Fest, or it it doesn't have a whole lot of appeal for me to table at those shows. Mm. For whatever reason, you know, I, mm. maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a crank. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. I mean, I, I really that that's the the one aspect that I find. I actually find it draining. Um, I love going to shows to see people and to to meet creators and to look around at what's there. But to table at shows, I just find it so draining, and I'm I'm really not. You know, I don't have that that uh, salesman presence to stand up all day and and talk to people all day about stuff, and um, I kind of get anxious when when people ask me what I'm doing, and so I can I can kind of understand that it's probably not the same reasons, yeah, I, but I get I gotta, the feeling. 
I got I got a chit chat quota for the year. <laughs> <laughs> if I reach it, I'm just not talking to anybody about about bullshit anymore for the rest. Of the year. <laughs> so you got to watch out for that. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same drain of shows a lot of the time. Um, yeah. Particularly if it's a if it's an out of town show and um. This is going to be one of those ones where, where people just think I'm a wimp who doesn't like competition. But I don't, you know, I don't like being in a room where I know that uh, that the the people coming to the show are coming specifically for that show, specifically for some name brand or more famous artist. And there's going to be what you know, fifty to a hundred bucks out of their pocket before they even have a chance to look around for the rest of us schleps. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's something there's something demeaning about that where I don't feel like I should I should have to make that <laughs> that <laughs> that effort at competing with those guys. Like I feel like I should be setting my own stuff up and, and to hell with the with with what's established and what's popular competing yeah. with that. I don't I have no urge to, you know, and I, with, with with a few exceptions, I chances are if it was if it was outrageously popular with somebody, you know, somebody who who likes the I don't know saga, you know, isn't gonna come look at my comics and, mm-hmm. and be wooed by them immediately just by looking at them, you know, or. <laughs> You know, or or the the anagraphic stuff. A lot of that's uh, you know more artsy than my stuff, and and so there's not a lot of there's not a lot of crossover there. Mm-hmm. That kind of you know it, why 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 put yourself why put myself in that uh, position to struggle over all that? Yeah, when I could I could make my own audience here or online or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's mm. just me. I don't know. What are the shows that you're a lot doing? Of people, what what shows will I be doing this year? Yeah, you. you I think you said uh, space, and um, there was one other one. I'll do. Uh, right now, I'm thinking I'm going to do space. I'm going to do Columbus Crossroads towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, I usually, past two years, I did the WFMU Record Fair in Brooklyn. Right. I, I did pretty well both times. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's that being out of the element, uh, everybody else has records and you have comics. I, I enjoy that. Yeah. But, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to have the money to make it out there this year. It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, that's the other thing about shows is they're always a financial roll of the dice. Maybe you'll, Maybe you'll you'll go and do well and make more money than your travel expenses and table expenses, but but maybe not, or more often not. So I I don't know. I don't. I'm not a big believer in in being there so you can be discovered or mm-hmm. like network. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you know, networking is something that happens naturally as long as you're putting yourself out there in some fashion. Right. Anyway. And and I suppose if your goal is to work at a bigger company or be published by a bigger company, it's valuable to go to those shows and, and 
to noodle with those folks. But uh, yeah. that's not where my ambitions lie, so so I don't don't really see the benefit. Okay. Am I going to get hate mail now? No. <laughs> hate mail. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think there's... I there's, love going to shows. I think the, sh- the shows are... Uh, that there's, you know, there's so... That's so different. It's so... Even from the same show from year to year has a different... What people are getting from it changes. So it's hard to... It's... If you're not there for reasons beyond getting, you know... If you're, if you're an independent publisher and you're not there for reasons beyond getting people to look at your book and in dribs and drabs a lot of times it shows it's there isn't really much point to go too far because you are just spending money you're spending money to yeah you should go if you like it if it's a vacation yeah exactly but if it's not going to be that there's a heck with it i uh yeah i remember (laughs) at at last year's cartoons crossroads i remember walking away from a table full of guys who were Talking about strategizing for shows, and elevator pitches, <laughs> and, and 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 how to how to how to display your stuff and the strategies. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't, I I don't have the mental energy to to do these gymnastics. And I think it's all bullshit anyway. What's going to work one day for a show is not going to, like you said, it may not work the next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a danger of chasing shows and there's a danger of, of turning up and expecting people to be into one thing and, and, you know, you can end up with a garage full of a lot of stuff that hasn't sold or it's... Well, I got that. I mean, I have that already. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, the the first uh, four issues I did, I, I, I wanted the super cheap cost of uh, per issue for a copy of, of doing offset printing and you know, they look great. They, they had that, you know, the kind of ink you could sniff and get high off of. Like opening a box was, you had to do it in a, in a well-ventilated area. You got an <laughs> instant rush of all those ink fumes. But, uh, um, you know, I buying 2,000 copies, I haven't sold 2,000 copies of anything ever. So. Mm-hmm. What has been your which biggest be, seller? What Which book? Um... That's a good question. Probably at this point, it's still the first issue of the quarter. Okay. Because, mm. uh, well, the, the, there's, you know, the, there's just, uh, I don't, I, I don't believe in, in presenting only the new stuff to people. I always have everything. If yeah. I can. Yeah. Um, and that's, people like starting at number one, even though my stuff's not, uh, serialized at all, um, and you could pick it up anywhere. People, there's something about that first issue that people like, like picking that up. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, um, everything else is probably fairly neck and neck. You know, I've sold a few hundred copies of everything else. Um, the the zine I published for my friend Bela about uh the the DIY musician uh Jim Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um he's kind of a cult figure, so I normally get like just without even soliciting the magazine, you know, I, I get two or three orders for it a month. So right. eventually that one will stack up a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. I think uh that's that's 
the other side of that is I might just run out of people who know who Jim Shepard was. So, <laughs> you know, that, that may just plateau at 600 <laughs> or something like that. But, you know, uh, it's tough to, to sell a lot of copies of something. Mm-hmm, yeah. I guess that, that horrible little belligerent kitty mini. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> sold a ton of those and I hate it. I just, I, I can't believe I published this thing that I hate just so I could have, you know, make make ten two dollar sales sales if I do do a show, you know. Yeah, so they'll sell out every time, but um, I'll probably do another issue of it this year because it's cheap and easy to do. Mm-hmm. Right? So. <laughs> and so. if, do you have any advice for anyone who who is thinking of starting a a quarterly comic book or a uh, a um a serial like a, a book in that style or um if it's if it's one person looking to do it mm-hmm. hold on to the reins tight when you when you start working with people collaborating with them just you know be firm have have the money in your pocket to pay them and and let them know that they are for sure getting paid but you want things in a certain fashion you know be a little dictatorial about it mm-hmm. i guess that'd be piece of advice you know, don't get don't get upset if it doesn't have turn out exactly the way you want it to because it's not gonna you know um it, you gotta walk the line you, you gotta you gotta be having your fun but you gotta and, and love what you're doing but you gotta be willing to kind of roll with it as, as things change yeah, you know, I don't. I, advice is weird. I don't. I don't like kind of giving generic advice out to to, to 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 a phantom audience a lot of the time because I don't. You know, everybody everybody needs different advice, and uh, and for for what you know to, to fill in the gaps of what they're doing. Yeah. And and it's hard to do that without actually talking to the person and getting to know them a little bit. So I don't, you know, when I give advice like that, it feels to me personally, like I'm either being so specific as to the advice only really applies to me Mm -hmm. or, you know, in my experience, or I'm issuing platitudes, you know, of, of, you know, work hard and good things will come. (laughs) Hang in there, baby. You know, I, you know, and, and that's kind of like the, the, more or less the, the ones I laid on you would fall closer to that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's if you're going to be if you're going to be making comics, you, you're going to figure out how to do it. Yeah, if, if the love and the fire is there, so so the advice comes later as you as you pick up people who are your peers and mentors. Yeah. Um, and, and th- that's the advice, because because all advice is is so highly anecdotal. Mm-hmm. That the, the, that's where you should be getting your advice. And if you're if, if you if you're scanning podcasts like this for for advice on getting started, you should be picking it up from the rest of the conversation, not the question about what advice would people be giving you. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to shit all over your. No, <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> But 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 it, it's just a, I, I, it's always a stumper for me because I'm not sure what to say. 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it is very, like you said, it's very anecdotal, and there's such a, there's such a, um, like everybody, everybody who's trying to do this is at some different stage of doing it, and there are so many people that are ready to give advice that isn't really relevant. That it's it's tricky. It's tricky, and you know, you got to learn. You got to learn what advice is is pertinent and not as, mm-hmm. as you're receiving it, you yeah. know? Um, I, I, I've made friends with a lot of great guys who've been doing stuff in the business for years and years and they're super smart people. And sometimes their, their advice is just 20 years out of date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the perfect, it would have been the perfect thing to do if I had started in, 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 in 1993, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but you got to, you got to learn to pick and choose your, what, what advice you take mm-hmm. and never pay for advice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I see, uh, every once in a while I see some thing where somebody's selling a course on writing or publishing comics. I'm like, really? I don't, don't, don't pay for that. <laughs> Figure it out on your own. There's plenty of free resources out there. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, where can people find your stuff, Ken? What's that now? Where can people find your stuff? Uh, nixcomics.com. N-I-X-C-O-M-I-C-S.com. That's uh, that's the best place I got. Uh, you know, I got I got the the, the Twitter and the Facebook too. So, mm-hmm. so that's uh, that's where I'm at. And then uh, you know if if uh, this is somehow floated through the ether to somebody in, in central Ohio, I just recently uh, opened up a, a small, a new small retail effort after I, after I just bashed about how I was no longer into it, but, uh, but, but I am I, friends of mine have an existing shop and uh, they wanted to sublet the, a, a smaller room within that shop to, uh, to, to somebody else and I just decided to go ahead and put all my stuff you know take them up on the offer put my stuff in put a lot of my peers uh, comics in a lot of the records that inspired the, the comics I make are in there mm-hmm. um, a lot of original artwork in print so so it's kind of a fun thing but it doesn't have the it, it's more of a, a flea market type thing for me where I have to go in a couple of couple times of the week that somebody else is running it for me right the, the rest of the time but uh so that's kind of cool people can find me there um or find my stuff there at any rate mm-hmm. cool well thank you very much ken yeah thanks jamie it's good talking to you man that's it for this episode you can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and you can email us at whoiampodcast at gmail.com or phone at 818-308-4066 You can also find us on iTunes if you want to subscribe there. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and that was This Is Who I Am.